to episode 5 of All Ears at Child's Voice, a podcast discussing all things hearing loss. We aim to connect parents of children with hearing loss with the professionals who serve them. We're your hosts. I'm Tatum Fritz. And I'm Jessica Brock. This week we will be talking about the importance of teaching self-advocacy skills to children with hearing loss with our colleague Anna Tess and our former colleague and parent of a child with hearing loss, Lucy Espinoza. Welcome, Anna and Lucy. Hi. Hi. Before we begin our discussion on self-advocacy, let's learn a little more about our guest speakers. Anna works as a teacher at the deaf in our preschool at Child's Voice and uses bilateral cochlear implants. And as Jessica said, Lucy is the parent of a child with hearing loss. Her son, Frankie, attended Child's Voice for five years. During that time, Lucy also worked as a teaching assistant for Child's Voice's early intervention toddler group. Anna, do you want to share some about your role at Child's Voice and how you got into working in the hearing loss field? So I started um, in the hearing loss field because I'm profoundly deaf myself. I was born with a profound hearing loss, and when I was about a year and a half, my parents realized something was wrong. So they got me diagnosed with a profound hearing loss. I got my first cochlear implant when I was two and a half, and my second one when I was 19. But I accredit a lot of my success back to my teachers. So that's what really kind of got me into the field of teaching. And then I really wanted to be an audiologist, but my mom said I, she thought I would be a better fit as a teacher. So that's kind of how I got into the field of teaching. And I kind of like to say that it's like paying it forward to all the teachers and everything that they did for me. Aww. That like makes my heart feel good. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about what you do at Child's Voice now? Yes. So at Child's Voice, I am a teacher in the Learning Center, which is teaching students preschool to second grade. We work on a lot of self-advocacy skills, mainstreaming skills, math, science, social studies, phonics, phonemic awareness, and just boosting their confidence and getting them ready for the mainstream. That's awesome. Uh, Lucy, do you want to share a little bit about your family and your son, Frankie? Um, Well, we're a family of four. Frankie is my oldest, and I have Fernando. He's a second. Frankie right now is nine years old. Um, He was also born hearing loss. He lacked oxygen at the time of birth, so that's what they say caused his hearing loss. He started early intervention right away, and in early intervention, one of our therapists mentioned Child's Voice, and that's how we came to Child's Voice. He did awesome at Child's Voice, and now he's in a mainstream program at one of our school districts Mm -hmm. um, close to home. Do you want to talk more about, just briefly, about his transition out of Child's Voice and into the new program he's at? Um, So Frankie graduated Child's Voice um, second grade. He was mainstreamed for third grade. Um, In the beginning, he did awesome. He was loving going to a new school, loving his friends. But around November, December, I did notice that Frankie was not interested in going back to school. He would cry every night saying he didn't want to go back to school. So I started doing some research. And after speaking with the teachers, they did let me know that Frankie was kind of not doing as well as how he started. So we started looking to other programs and we did find one close to home where it's a self-contained classroom. There's about six kids there, very um, much like Child's Voice, but it's a total communication class. So he has some subjects where he's in that classroom and there's other subjects where he does find that he is mainstreamed and he's loving it now. 
Going back to when he was at Child's Voice and you worked as a teaching assistant in the toddler group program, what was that like working with other families and children in the toddler group program? It was awesome because, well, first of all, I love babies, um, <laughs> but everything that I had learned with Frankie, I loved sharing it with everyone else. And like Anna said, it's kind of like you're paying it forward to all the families and letting them know like, hey, look, I have an older son. He's doing great. Your child will be there one day as well. It's mm-hmm. a good feeling. Yeah. <laughs> you do a lot of uh, working with other families because aren't you also part of Guide by Your Side? Yes. So um, Guide by Your Side is a program for families that have children with hearing loss. It's free and you just get resources. You talk to another parent that has a child with hearing loss and we just become friends and kind of like a family and you just let them know like, hey, right now it may be tough, but later on you'll see everything will be okay. That's awesome. All right. So before we get into the main discussion, do either of you have a favorite story from the past week? Perhaps Anna about a student or Lucy about your family? I have two stories. The first one was this past week. I always say, oh, sweetie, or like in the classroom, or oh, dear, and lingo like that. And one of my students, as we were walking out of the classroom, I like tripped over the door, and one of my students said, oh, sweetie, are you okay? (laughs) And that's when I really knew that they're listening and in tune with what I'm doing. So cute. And then do you have another one? Did you say another story is when I taught in P1, there was one student that I had, and she didn't talk at all. And she just graduated in May, or she was recognized in May, and then left in July talking full sentences. And that was probably my biggest success story was watching her over three years grow and become a little person of her own. Incredible. Our graduation, uh, just for listeners, the... All the students say a speech, and that's the most heartwarming event of the year. And it's in front of, like... A lot of people. Yeah. More than probably I've ever said a speech in front of. (laughs) Yeah, they're courageous, like, resilient little kiddos. And they go off and do awesome things, so... Mm -hmm. Yes. (laughs) You can attest to that, right? Yes. (laughs) Um, So, my story... Well, Frankie obviously takes speech therapy, and Fernando, he's perfectly fine. He does not have a hearing loss. The other day, they were talking about hurricanes, and Fernando said, Hernacane. And Frankie was said, Nando, you don't say Hernacane, you say Hur-a-cane. So to me, I'm like, oh my god, my deaf child is teaching my normal hearing child how to say a word instead of the other way around. So I thought Aww. it was... Something funny. I love that he like chained it for him to like her uh, cane. cane. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> yeah, he's probably learned like some speech strategies. <laughs> That's, That's awesome. Okay, well, why don't we get into our main discussion then? Um, as Jessica mentioned, today we will be talking with Anna and Lucy about the importance of teaching self advocacy skills to children with hearing loss. Why don't we start? just by defining self-advocacy for our listeners. Do either of you want to go first? Self-advocacy to me, for my child, means that they're able to understand what is being said around them. If they don't, they need to speak up and say, hey, I didn't hear that, or can you repeat that? And building on what Lucy said, a lot of what we teach in my classroom is changing their batteries, and if the hearing aid breaks or the FM is not syncing, being more proactive to say it's not working or then troubleshooting the devices themselves because when they do go to the mainstream there's a teacher who has 24 students or more 
and they don't have time to necessarily troubleshoot. So teaching our students to be proactive and take think, care of things on their own. Yeah, I definitely think advocacy skills are something that benefit everybody. Mm -hmm. And then when it comes to hearing loss, there's just more specific things that maybe another person wouldn't have to learn, like advocating for your batteries. Right. Mm -hmm. Why is self-advocacy so important to teach to children who have hearing loss? I definitely think it's important because having a hearing loss is tough. Mm -hmm. And being able to advocate for myself and not always depending on someone was tough. You know, you have to learn to become independent and confident with the person for who you are and then being able to take that confidence and say, hey, I didn't hear that, even if you have to ask that person three times, which is really difficult and is really embarrassing at times. So I think self-advocacy is so important because every child uses it in one way or another. It's just a matter of how they use it. And like Anna said earlier, when they're in the mainstream, they're by themselves. The classrooms are so big that I, I remember one of the teachers would say, Frankie's so good at just his batteries out. I just see him get up, go to his backpack, change his batteries. He doesn't even raise his hand or anything. He's quiet. Um, so it's something that like, it's instinct to them. Just I need to go and change my battery. So it's, mm -hmm. it's important. Yeah, I know you both have mentioned the batteries and your devices or letting someone know when you aren't able to hear them, but how does how has advocacy changed for you like over the course of your life, Anna? Like was it different looking in college? Oh yeah, definitely. Every stage is different. As a kid you advocate when it's not working, the batteries are not working. But then if the implant or hearing aid itself is not working, then typically I would go to my mom or I would go to my teacher then. But then once I got to high school and college, that really kind of came my responsibility in calling the companies to advocate then for myself. So a lot more of that independence. And then also just being an adult with hearing loss, advocating in the public place, in the public workplace and public spaces is a lot different than in small settings, especially as a you know, more shy person that really is going outside of the box to say, can you wear this mini mic or can you explain why you need different accommodations? We've touched on some skills that might fall under the umbrella of self-advocacy, but is there anything that we haven't touched on? Oh, wow. <laughs> Anna has a whole printout. <laughs> is that a good teacher? <laughs> I, because I was like, I'm not going to remember all this stuff. <laughs> a lot of the self-advocacy things that we teach here is just teaching the children who is hearing, who has a hearing loss, being able to tell their friends, tell their teachers, tell their family, I have a hearing loss, or I wear an implant, I wear a hearing aid because I have a hearing loss. So being able to explain why. Also explaining to the kids that the mainstream is not full of kids with hearing loss. It's hearing kids who are not going to be wearing devices. And just uh, role-playing situations where if a student says, oh, why do you have a purple ear mold? Our uh, kids aren't like, oh, you know, and get caught. Or um, just really showing that they can have ownership of the conversation and say, oh, that's my ear mold because I have a hearing loss. It helps me hear. We teach parts of devices. We teach listening situations, repair strategies. We go to the mainstream once a month where we immerse the kids with typically hearing children and they do activities with them and 
learn about how noisy the mainstream is and start to practice those skills that we're learning in the classroom. I want to ask a question about self-advocacy skills in IEPs, but before I do that, maybe we should define what an IEP is for listeners who don't know it. Does anybody want to do that or do you want me to do it? So an IEP is something called an individualized education plan, and the fastest way I've ever heard it described is as a blueprint for a child's special education services. So when a child qualifies for special education services in the school, they'll receive an IEP and it might list, it will list like the kinds of services that they'll have and the goals that those services will be targeting. So speech therapy might be on some of our kids' IEPs or hearing itinerant services, and then a goal on the IEP could be working on the child producing, like, correct speech. So within those goals, can self-advocacy be listed on there? Yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a section where we talk about self-advocacy skills for Frankie. He is very shy, and it's something that he's always been. So even when he was here at Child's Voice, one of the main things that they would work on is looking at the speaker. Um, because Frankie tends to not look. He's shy or if he's not understanding, he just kind of looks down and doesn't raise his hand. So it's something that we're constantly working at home and we have that in his IEP. Who on the IEP team would target them if they are in the IEP? Or who targets them with Frankie or in at Child's Voice? Well, with Frankie, all his teachers have goals that they have to work on. So all the teachers do have a spot in the IEP as well as the hearing itinerant. That's uh, very similar to here at Child's Voice is all of the teachers, the speech language pathologists, the audiologists, we all work together on making self-advocacy goals and then carrying out those goals tends to happen a lot in the classrooms in the hallways here at Child's Voice. I know that on Jessica and my end, we help write the IEPs when kids turn three and transition into the program here, but most those IEPs don't include a self-advocacy goal. When do you guys add them in here? Typically, we start adding them when they are turning three, turning four, depending on the student. Okay. So if the student is showing a lot of independence, then we'll write them sooner. If they still need a lot of teacher assistance, we'll wait. Anna, what was your experience like with self-advocacy? Like, do you remember any professionals or teachers working on those things with you? Yeah, I had a lot of teachers who worked on that with me, especially in elementary and junior high. I had a hearing itinerant who would push me outside of my comfort zone and really my self-advocacy goals were to go to my teachers and say, no, I don't need to sit in the front. But... When I do ask for repetition or more assistance, I would like that assistance. And at first I was very uncomfortable with going up to my teachers and explaining my hearing loss and saying that things that I needed in the classroom. But my hearing itinerant was excellent and by the time I got to high school I was able to tell all nine of my teachers in a semester and explain everything and explain exactly what services I needed and what services I didn't need. So that's... I just got chills thinking about like little Anna walking into all of her classes. You know, like... Right. It's it a, wasn't it with the be, most confidence, yeah. but yeah, it's it's something you learn along the way. And then even now, you know, going to up to my professors, I still am like, oh, I don't want to explain this again mm-hmm. to you, but I have to. Otherwise, they sometimes don't always know or they don't 
catch on. Lucy, how have you helped Frankie learn to advocate for himself and how has that changed like over time? So something that we started doing even while we were here at Child's Voice, but it's gotten bigger at home now, because Frankie is so shy, we're constantly working on him looking at the speaker. So what I do at home a lot is I talk, but I don't make any sounds. He has to read my lips. And that way he's constantly looking at me. And if he starts doing that to me, he'll start doing that to everyone else. So we just play a game and we might be at dinner and I say something and I'm like, what did I say? And he has to repeat it. And that's something where I try to help him because he's so shy that I need him to start looking at the speaker more and more. So mm-hmm. That's a cool strategy. I have not heard that one before. <laughs> that's a fun game. Everyone does it at home, not just me. So Yeah. yeah. Do you tell him that you're going to do that, or do you just start talking without no. <laughs> <Just> getting <laughs> frustrated? No, because I want him to make sure that he's listening. So if I just start saying it, he looks at me funny like, hey, I didn't hear you. And then I say it again, and then he's like, oh, you're doing that. <laughs> oh, so okay. um, I don't warn him. I just do it. That's awesome. <laughs> That's kind of fun. That's a great idea. Have you started the process of having him talk to his teachers about... His hearing loss, like he's still pretty young. He's in, what grade is he in now? Um, right? He'll start in fourth, fourth. in fourth grade. We haven't done young. that yet. And I think him being so shy, I see it in the future might be something that we really have to work on because mm-hmm. I don't know how he would handle it. Yeah. He'll probably be like, mom, just make a note and I'll just give it to my teachers. <laughs> he did the self-advocacy book at the beginning of the year though. Yes. When he started, he did a book and he talked all about his hearing loss and the parts of his hearing aid and how he uses his FM system. We even did like a little trick with his classmates where he stepped outside and I'm like, okay guys, we're going to say a number and Frankie's gonna come in and he's gonna say that number. So then a little boy raised his hand, he said the number, but of course they're like, he's not gonna know. So when Frankie came in, he said the number, they're like, what, how did you hear that? <laughs> well, that's how the FM system works. Like whatever the teacher's saying, he hears it. It kind of like opened up the... The dialogue maybe yeah, between his... his friends and mm-hmm. then they all knew that, like, oh, if they had the Roger pen, so... That was also another thing why we used that example. So whenever anyone was talking, they knew that, oh, I need the Roger pen Mm -hmm. because I need Frankie to hear me. So it was a way for everyone to understand how it worked and why they needed it at the table. But with adults, I feel like it's, sorry, Um, it's it's, um, harder for him. Like with kids Uh his age, he's fine telling them what he has and why he has it. But when it's an adult, he's like, he shuts down. Yeah, when we moved in um, to Romeoville, all the little boys around were like, what is that? What is that? I'm like, oh, it's my hearing aid. It helps me hear. And I mean, he was perfectly fine telling them. But when it comes to an adult, he just like, ugh. <laughs> and I feel like at the elementary age, at least I can imagine that the kids are more accepting than maybe later on. Though it feels like the young, <laughs> young people in the world are becoming more accepting. Yes. yes. <laughs> Parents are teaching their children that not everything is normal. Like, Mm -hmm. this is our normal, but their normal is that way, you know? Yeah. Speaking of parents, what can parents do at home to encourage self-advocacy skill development? Encouraging their children to change their batteries on their own, make sure their devices are working. And like Lucy said, creating situations and then working on their child self-advocating for themselves 
within their home and then moving beyond the home to the park or to smaller settings, family parties, and then to school and beyond. And it could be little things like when we go out to eat, I always tell them, okay, you have to tell the waitress what you want. And again, Frankie's so shy, he tends to speak very soft, so they don't hear him. And I'm like, you have to speak up. So he does it all on his own, and sometimes he has to do it two times. But it's like, if you want to just say it once, you need to speak up louder. So we do that also when we go out to eat. I feel like it's similar to a lot of skills that come up in childhood development that parents do things for their kids for so long and then eventually the expectation is that the kids start doing it and so just thinking about what like parents are doing for their kids whether it's changing batteries or making sure that everything is working or asking if they can hear and kind of shifting some of those responsibilities over but being like mindful about it because it can be easy to just go through your day and change the batteries yourself you know yeah yeah and I feel like it's important too to be mindful of how much support your kid needs at a given time. So Mm -hmm. even like the example of Frankie going to his teachers and maybe verbally telling them about his hearing loss might be too much at first. So having the, having the paper be the first step and then maybe the next school year he can practice, like maybe he could write the sheet of paper on his own and hand it to them. And then the year after that, Mm -hmm. maybe he'll be ready to just come up and tell them. I just think of self-advocacy skills overall with kids and I can remember my stepdad took me to the bank when I was in eighth grade or I don't know I might have been older but it was traumatizing he like made me go up to the teller to like deposit I had no idea what I was doing like to deposit a check and he didn't understand why I was like upset and I was like I look like an idiot you have to provide some support you can't just throw your child into the deep end Mm -hmm. so (laughs) I don't know it was really traumatizing to me (laughs) like I didn't know how to like deposit a check (laughs) not that that's like related but like just when you're helping your kid take over responsibilities that are slowly Mm -hmm. going to become theirs Mm -hmm. as they become adults I do think it's important to provide them with yeah yeah I remember (laughs) having to like make doctor's appointments by myself for the first time and being like you need to tell me what to say because I don't know and it's not hard you know yeah (laughs) uh, but it's stressful when you've never done something like that before Mm -hmm. and then when it's with children with hearing loss, it's such a part of their identity, so the stakes are higher, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's even harder, I think. That's why I think it's cool that Child's Voice starts the skills so young, too, Mm -hmm. because then there's already been so much practice by the Mm -hmm. time that they really have to be independent with it. They're ready. And they start with the parents, too, so Mm -hmm. the parents know that I need to help my child to be able to do these things, Mm -hmm. so we have to make these steps. So, because there's other parents out there, like you guys said, they don't know and they just throw them to the wolves and Mm -hmm. it's just harder for them. So, if the parents are educated, then the child will succeed better. Can you guys think of any, both of you, Anna, for you and then Lucy for Frankie, moments of self-advocacy that, like, you remember very clearly that you did something that you hadn't done before or he did something, you know, that he hadn't done previously? The most vivid self-advocacy skill that I had to do wasn't traumatizing, but it definitely was um, (laughs) a very strong memory. It was when I was playing basketball, and the referee kept telling me that I had to take off my implants because they were earrings. And he thought that since they were a piece of jewelry, you can't wear jewelry in basketball. He kept telling me, he kept stopping the game and making the big fuss of this. 
and I had to keep explaining and re-explaining that no, it's a cochlear implant. It helps me here. Without it, I cannot play the game. I cannot understand what's going on. So I, I learned a lot from that moment of just how even though the world is becoming more accepting, there's so few people that know about hearing loss and the things that they need to advocate. So just being out there to teach more of these people, not only self-advocating for myself, but also just teaching the world around me all about the services that we need. Yeah. How old were you? This was sophomore year of high school, so 16. Yeah, so that's really on you then. It's not like you're 10 and your parents are like right on the sideline. Mm-hmm. They can rush over and tell, yeah. you know, wow. We recently went to Mexico, and I was surprised that Frankie, um, someone was speaking to him, and he only speaks English. But in our home, we speak both languages, but with him, we just started off speaking English because we just wanted him to talk, and we're like, let's just focus on English. So when we went to Mexico, someone was talking to him, and instead of him shutting down like he usually does, he was like, Mom, what did they say? Like, I guess he understood a little bit of it that he was interested and he wanted to know exactly what they were saying so he asked me to translate or now I see that he um, turns to his brother like what did they say so he's not just shutting down but he's asking for help from someone to translate so that's where I see him self-advocate when it comes to someone speaking another language around him like he will ask for help when before it was just oh I don't know what they're talking about let me just walk away. And now he's more engaged. Yeah, those are really good things. And it's important for him to like want to know what's happening around him, whereas it can be so easy just to let things go, but then how many things do you miss out on mm-hmm. when you do that? So that's mm-hmm. a big step. It's a big deal. That might be a good place to wrap up. Um, Anna and Lucy, thank you both so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Listeners, we would love to hear from you. Professionals, what are you doing to teach self-advocacy skills to your students or to help your families teach their own children self-advocacy skills? Parents, have you or your children's teachers worked on self-advocacy skills before with your child? What does that look like? Was there anything new today that Mm -hmm. was particularly interesting to you or anything that we might have missed? Be sure to let us know your thoughts on the topic today. Thank you for joining us for another episode of All Ears at Child's Voice. Be sure to join us for our next episode. We will be talking with a speech-language pathologist, Landon Lacey, about theory of mind. I'm really looking forward to that one. So definitely look out for our next episode. As a reminder, we release episodes every other week on Wednesdays. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Jessica Brock SLP, and you can find Tatum at Tatum Fritz SLP. You can also email us at podcast at childsvoice.org, and you can find episode show notes and archived episodes at our Child's Voice website, childsvoice.org. And if you're interested in learning more about Child's Voice, Child's Voice is on Facebook as well as Twitter and Instagram with the handle at child's underscore voice, no apostrophe. Okay, great. We'll see you next time. Bye. 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 And from our friends at Child's Voice. Bye. Bye.